you tuned into the October Recovery Podcast. My name is AJ. I'm not an addiction counselor, specialist, or professional. On this podcast, you'll hear discussion regarding 12-step recovery programs and how they have impacted our lives. However, the podcast is not a promotion or an endorsement of any 12-step fellowship as a whole. The opinions shared on this show are those of the individual speaker. If you or someone you love is suffering from addiction and needs help, call Recovery Centers of America, 1-855-487-9626. The email is recoverycentersofamerica.com. There you will find detox, inpatient, and outpatient services in Danvers, Westminster, Mass., Maryland, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey. Another recovery option is Banyan Treatment Center, started by pro skateboarder Brendan Novak. Locations are Pennsylvania, Chicago, four locations in Florida, and one in Wilmington, Massachusetts. Also, help with addiction can be found at Foundations Recovery Network at 1-877-714-1318. Oxober Recovery Podcast, Episode 5. <laughs> All right, here we are. And uh, today we are welcoming a friend of mine that I met. Uh, known each other for, for too, too long, but it feels like I've known you forever. This is my good friend, Chris. How you doing, AJ? You know, thanks for coming up today, taking the ride up from home. I know you had a busy schedule this morning. And- yeah, no worries, man. I love that you talk about, like, as you go to say it, you're like, we haven't really known each other long. Like, I find around here that, like, spirit talks to spirit. And I, t- I said, like, I'm like, the minute I met you, like, I knew that, like, you know, like, th- there was a connection there. And, like, that's what's so amazing about these this program is, like, we get these connections with people. And I don't question them. I just, like, oh, yeah, AJ's a good guy, you know. And, like, you know, almost like there was an odd feeling that, like, someday we'd be sitting here even, you know. Like, you know, like, what what is it about meeting you that I felt, you know, just those little intuitions, like something different about this guy than with everybody else that I meet. And, like, you don't know it till like, we're sitting right here and it's like, oh, maybe this is it, you know. It's spiritual, man. It's spiritual. It's connecting yeah. spiritually. Yeah. You know, it's like don't have to say any words, you know. It, it, it's different yeah it's different it's different and i feel the same yeah way. and it's a feeling it's a feeling yeah. not a not a conversation it's just you know it's it's a it's a tangible feeling it's an inside job as they say you and know I, and i do and i feel the same way and thank you for those kind words and um you know i do remember some of the one thing i remember about when i first met you um at the green tomato if I if I if I remember correctly, you were kind of banged up the first time I saw you. Probably. I mean, I I had a lot of trouble getting sober. Mm. I walked into my first meeting in 2007. Um, I was 30 years old. I had a pretty good career at the time. I thought I knew everything, and you know, I'm the guy that comes in and 
I walk into a meeting, and before I get to the seat, my head has already looked around the room and said, better than, worse than, worse than, better than, better than, worse than, worse than, better than. And I've compared myself to everybody by the time I sit down in the seat. And what that does is not only make me kind of a jerk, but what it also does is it makes you either above me or below me. So anything you say doesn't apply to me. So I sit in meetings for years and years and years and hear things and you're always talking about you and you're never talking about me. And like, again, you know, and that was true. It took me 11 years to get one in this program. You talk about, so, and and that's comparison, right? And I've heard somebody talk about that before and, and we do it. I mean, we compare and, and it does two things. I I heard um, Rick Warren talk about this. He said, so you can compare and you're better at something than somebody and your ego goes off the charts. Or you could compare and you're not as good as somebody and you get deflated, you get depressed, you get discouraged. Either way, you're dead in the water. And and a lot of that too is, you know, for me, that's, it's because somewhere, and I believe this is my isms, you know, this is my alcoholism, this is my addict personality, regardless of if I'm putting anything in my system, it's that. I'm not okay. You know, it's that little voice inside that's been there forever for me that I'm not okay. So I either need to be better than you to prove to you that I'm okay, or I need to cater to you because you're better than me. You know, and I've heard, you know, you hear the kind of cliched statement of, you know, egomaniac with an inferiority complex. I don't love that one. I heard it once said, and I love this better. I love this. I like this much better. And it's, I'm better than you, but I'm worse than everyone. Oh, wow. And like, that is, you know, like, that's how I live my life for a long time. And like, you know, now you come around, I come around here and like, I start to do some things and my perspective starts to change. And like, and like, I'm okay. Like, you're okay. You know, like, even when I first came in here and I had no idea and I was still using on the side and doing all that, like, I was okay then, too. You know, like, you know, and and like the idea of, you know, there's nothing wrong with us. We just need to adjust our thought life a little bit. Like we need to, you know, change the way that we're living, change the way that our heads work to some extent. But there's nothing wrong with me. You know, there's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. Yeah. So 2007. So tell me a little bit of, um, you know, how Chris's life went prior to 2007 so like i come from an alcoholic home um you know uh, there are different theories on if this thing's genetic or otherwise at the end of the day it, it really doesn't matter to me because i know that i am one yeah. so yep. if it was nature or nurture or a combination of the two at the end of the day it, it, it's something that i have and something i need to address right. you know but so you know so i come from this alcoholic house and uh you know when i was a kid long before i picked up uh, a drink or a drug I remember, um, I remember one Christmas. So when I was a kid, like I, I grew up, in, uh, my dad was an alcoholic. My mom didn't work. There were six of us. Okay. We didn't wow. have a lot of money. And uh, like Christmas would look something like 
I'd ask for like Def Leppard hysteria on CD and I'd get like high and dry on tape from the Caldor tape bin. Like that's yeah. what our Christmases looked like, you know? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, like, I, I, yeah, yeah. you know, so like one year I get, you remember the uh, the GoBots? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. So they're like Transformers, but yeah. not, not quite as cool. So I say like my toys were even a little less than yeah, yeah. as a kid, you know? So, <laughs> uh, so one year my mom like stepped it up and she got me leader one who was the leader of the GoBots. Okay. And I remember at like eight or nine years old, like calling my friends and long before I picked up, calling my friends and saying, hey guys, how you doing? This is Chris. Uh, I got leader one for Christmas. Can I come by and play? And what that was is me, even at that young age, knowing deep down inside that you wouldn't want to play with me. You wouldn't want to be with me. But if I show you this thing that right. you like... I'll lead with this, this cool toy, and then I'll slide in behind it because I don't like to be alone. Yeah. You know, and like that toy became jobs. It became cars. It became clothes. It became groups of friends. It became relationships. It was always, what do you want from me? What can I show you that you'll like yeah. so that you'll like me? Let me, and let me ask you now, So, because that's a common theme around AA. And sometimes I wonder... And I, I wonder what your thought is too, because it's it's I don't understand it fully. People who aren't alcoholic have had those feelings too. Well, well, I think that there's there's you know things that we deal with as humans, and then I think there's things that we deal with as alcoholics and addicts. And for me, when I picked up booze and drugs, they got rid of those feelings. So I think that the feelings are human feelings, and the fact that I found such a relief in alcohol and drugs is why it became relevant to me because that drew me once I got that feeling you know it leveled the playing field for me once I picked up it made me feel like I wasn't that less than anymore instead of feeling our feelings we decided to medicate yeah, yeah. right and and you know I think I, I think I started a lot of that stuff as the next thing, as the next thing that you like, you, oh, you like to drink and you like to, you know, party. Okay. I'll do that. So you'll like me. But then once I got the feeling, then like all bets were off mm. and then it became about the feeling. And, you know, like I, I, I've heard this analogy before, like so many, this isn't my own, but it works so well for me. So I like to use it. Sure. You know, when I picked up, it worked for me. It really did for a, for a long time. You know, and I compare it to, and again, not my analogy, but I compare it. You know how to play roulette, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a, another fellowship I belong in. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So you know, when I sat down, you know, I go to the table because I, 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 I pick up and I feel better. Yeah. So I go to the table. I go to this roulette table, and I'm betting on black because that's my color, yep. and I'm spinning, and every space on the wheel is black. And everything's coming up, Chris. And it's Vegas. It's right. sporting events. It's yeah. concerts. It's partying in Boston. It's girls. It's strip clubs. It's you know all these things. And woohoo! Everything's coming up, Chris. It's so great. And then over time, because I'm an alcoholic and an addict, and this thing's progressive, slowly, like I start, they start replacing some of those blacks with reds. Mm. And reds, you know, missing Easter dinner. Red's letting down my family. Red's all those jackpots that slowly over time. Wow. And at the end, because of the progression of this thing, I'm sitting down at the table because I can no longer stay abstinent. I can't, I, I can't accept those feelings anymore. So I keep sitting down at the table looking for relief. And I know that everyone is red. 
but I need the relief. Right. And I'm sitting there and I'm spinning and I'm begging the dealer halfway through, please, can you make one of those black again? I just need the relief tonight and I just can't handle the consequences anymore. And unfortunately, th- that that wasn't the case for me. At the end, every pickup was a jackpot. And it's like, and that's that's the, like, that's the difference between, you know, us and them, right? Because they see that it's all red and they're like i'm out yeah well my odds i'm I'm cooked i'm done i can't win and and that's kind of the difference between you know in in, you know the big book they talk about the difference between the hard drinker and the alcoholic or like you know the the partier and the addict you know and then what that is is you know in my experience for them the problem stops when the using stops the problem stops when the when the bottle ends you know that's where their problems start for me as an addict and an alcoholic of the hopeless variety, my problems begin when I put it down. Mm. All my inside stuff begins when I put it down. And so, like, let me just, uh, this is something cool. It just crossed my mind. So, you know, the book talks about the sense of ease and comfort that comes at once from taking a few drinks. Mm. So right now we're in the studio. We're in a safe place. Close your eyes for a minute. And however far removed you are from the last drink you had, can you still feel that sense of ease and comfort if you think of it, if you allow yourself to do so. million percent. So if I can't find a sense of ease and comfort like that right now, sitting able to recreate that inside of myself, I'm going to go back to it. And like that's the difference between abstinent and sober, right. have another piece of cake, right. and right. recovery. You know? Yeah, yep, yeah. So you kind of grew up, you went to middle school, were you athletic? Like what kind of went on there? Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I was not super athletic, yeah. you know, and like that was a big thing. Well, that I was, see the lacrosse. Yeah, I got, into, I got into that stuff later, okay. you know, but like, so when I was a kid, like my dad wasn't really around to teach me how to play sports, okay. you know, and like I like didn't even realize that till later on. Where like, was he? He was, he was drinking. He was yeah. an alcoholic. Okay. You know? okay. I mean, he, he was doing his thing, yeah. and then, you know, he was removed via restraining order yeah. in, you know, when I was in middle of high school. Yeah. You know, a lot of cops incidents. I mean, yeah. when I was in fifth grade, the article of him getting locked up got brought into current by current events by one of the kids in my class. Like those, you know, so a guy who's in, you know, for a kid who kind of has some of that inside stuff anyway to like, you know, all of that stuff didn't help, but like I don't sit here as a victim of my childhood. Yeah. I don't sit here with any disdain for that guy. That guy was me. Yeah. You know, like that he my dad was an alcoholic yeah. and like he just couldn't get it. He died of this disease. Wow. And you know, he couldn't get it. And like I have come to the point in my life, I think that as human beings, we are built for compassion and we are built to love. And that we all do the best we can. Mm. And sometimes the best somebody can do just isn't that freaking great. Yeah. You know, and yeah. like, I don't, you know, and like, I, you know, I had some catharsis like later on, right around the time when he, you know, right before he died, you know, he was super sick. And, you know, I held his hand in the hospital when he died. Wow. And he was sick. He was in his, you know, early 60s, looked like he was 80. You know, he had tried to get sober a few times. He just couldn't. And, you know, and I got to see like the end of this disease, yeah. you know, and like this person who was a violent monster in my head when I was a kid was now, you know, a frail, dying old man who you could see the pain in his eyes, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, uh, and, and honestly, I, I wish that 
I stopped drinking and using around that time. And I didn't. You what know, year like, are we talking there? How old were you? I would say that's probably about 2011, okay. 2012. Okay. So, um, so you'd been in and out. Yeah. So I, yeah. So I mean, I put together like six months or so in 2007, and that was the most I put together again until currently the year and a half that I have now. You know, and um, you know, I would put so like from 2007 until 2017 was more of a run than it was sobriety like by the vast majority there are a couple of couple of jackpots that push me into some little sobrieties but um in 2007 i met my wife and um she had a 10 year old son at the time who's my son now yeah um and uh we had our own son back in 2011 you know so now i am i have a family and you know my disease has progressed so much that um, drinking and using like I'm you know a single guy in my early 20s and I have a wife I have two children you know I'm trying to coach sports in my towns I'm trying to run a business you know like I have these two lives you know the book talks about you know these the Jekyll and Hyde these two separate lives and you know and just everything is just crashing down everything's falling apart you know um, I'm powerless and my life has become unmanageable, yeah. you know? Yeah. And for me, um, when I think about that, I think about like my last relapse. So my last relapse came to this point where like most of my, re- I was, it, I was in a hotel room. Most of my relapses by that point were ending up. Can can you give me a year ish? Uh, yeah. 2018. Okay. Sum, summer of 2018. Okay. So, uh, I'm in a hotel room yeah. and cause most of my relapses ended in hotel rooms by that point. So it was, it was a three day run. One of those runs where a couple of people in the room had become cops, might've been a helicopter outside, oh, you know? So, so, and this is, this to me is interesting. I don't, I, I'm totally naive about what would go on in a hotel room like this and it intrigues me so if you feel like talking about a little specific not too specific let me see what you got so at this point i'm in hotel rooms because i have a home with a wife and two children in it um and the behavior that i'm exhibiting is not something that i would want my wife and my kids to see and that's what that's what booze and drugs do to me is and so a long time, I thought that I, you know, I, I remember, you know, I know prior to us turning this on, we talked a little bit about the disease, you know, and I thought for probably about 25 years that I was drinking and using the way that I wanted to. And until I got into this program and got into recovery and really got an idea about what this thing is, like now I know that I drink and use the only way I can. Like, I'm Chris. I'm an alcoholic. I'm an addict. I can only drink and use one way. Mm. And in addition to that, it doesn't matter what I put around me, who I put around me, a wife who I love, two children who I love and would do anything for, but I can't choose them over picking up unless I'm doing the things that I need to do to arrest that disease for a day Mm. and that's not semantics that's me knowing that like when i'm active and when i'm not working this program the way that i need to i will hug my children i will push them out of the way 
and I will go use to get the relief that I need. Mm. And it sucks to say that. It sucks to sit in this chair and say that, but that's my truth. Yeah. And that's twofold. I need to understand what my truth is to be able to do to do the things I need to do so that I don't do those things. Right. But what it also does is if this conversation reaches anybody, one person who feels the same or has felt the same or understands that this is a disease and that the way that I behave is the only way I can behave if I'm not working a program of recovery, I've just turned the worst part about my life, the the most wretched thing into possibly the most useful thing that I have. You know, like my experience, and, and you know, it's about time that we realize that there's a strong possibility that our addiction and our alcoholism is a calling and not a curse. Wow. Yeah. And so, and, and I, you know, obviously I love the honesty and, and that's what we're here for to help other people. And you hit it. It's, you know, if we can hit one person out there who out there, who who's thinking out there, I'm unique and nobody knows what I'm going through. I mean that's that's the that's like the golden ticket of this program. When I came in, I sat in the back and I still thought to myself, oh, "Wait till these people get a load of me." Yeah, yeah, and, <laughs> and that's what, what I mean? that's what we do. And and you know we demonstrize ourselves so much, you yeah. know. And and again, this isn't to justify anything that I've done or anything that we've done. Uh, you know, this is. I've done the things I've done. I've behaved the way that I've behaved. But, like, I love my wife and my kids. I love them as much today as I did when I was active. When I was active and when I was not working the program recovery I work right now, I could not choose them. Today, if the thought crosses my mind that maybe there might be something in a drink for me or maybe there might be something out there or maybe I can go and feel good one more time in a synthetic way, the first thing that comes to my mind is my wife and my kids. And that's not me, you know? And like we, a lot of times people shy away from that. You know, like a lot of times when I talk, I talk about me working my program recovery. If I'm not working my program recovery the way that I need to, whatever. And I leave it at that, you know, but I, I, I think that there's value in talking about what is that? You know, like what is, what changed? You know, I sit before you a changed person. Yeah. You know, and, you know, the things that once I could not bring to consciousness, now I can. And I haven't, you know, it, it's not of me. I did everything I could to try to change myself. You know, like I, you know, tried to not pick up no matter what. I would try to do that. But I find in my experience that I just picked up no matter what. <laughs> you know, like, you know, I I love the concept of just say no, but like I can't do that. Yeah. You know, yeah. and like, you know, I, I'm the guy that, and, and it's possibly because, you know, when I drink and I use I set up a synthetic spiritual experience so 
bingo. And so I like that's I'd never heard it put that way, a synthetic spiritual experience. Because when you were just talking, my brain's going here and it's like um I had this conversation this morning with a couple of my buddies and we were talking about spirituality and I can't be lying, cheating and stealing and drugging and drinking, etc., etc., etc. And be spiritual at the same time. I can't do it. I don't know anybody who's done it. So maybe it can be done. But the way I think of it is when I could get honest with myself, then I can get closer to the power that is greater than myself. And then I can start to become more spiritual. But if my ego's off the charts and my self-centeredness and I'm filling myself with all these me, 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 me things, there's no connection. And like you said, I, so if I'm not going to have a real connection, yeah, I mean, synthetic, maybe I can have a little laboratory where I can create one, but it's not going to be a true relationship with God. Oh, no, exactly. And that's the thing. And like, you know, I can create that synthetic spiritual experience, but the way that I've learned to do it by drinking and drugging, every time I do it, I'm making the actual relationship worse. I'm making every relationship I have worse. And, you know, because again, like I can only do it one way. So I pick up to, you know, to get that spiritual experience that I need because I can't stay comfortable in abstinence. And every time I do it, I use to the wall because that's the only way I can, you know, and, and, you know, so I, so I do that and I, I destroy everything and, you know, eventually that run comes to an end, whether I run out, you know, whatever, like, and, and, you know, that's a good, like, that's a good, um, kind of analogy to use. So like when I, you know, when you, if you're drinking or you're using and you run out, like, is that a tense experience? You know, when you're drinking and all of a sudden you're out of booze, you know, like take yourself in that moment. And what if somebody came along and said, okay, now just do that for the, just do that for the next 30 years. And then walked away, you know, like that's how I get in abstinence, you know, that's so, you know, until I came around here and got introduced to something else, you know, I, I don't do abstinence and sobriety well. So unless, and that's not what I seek around here, you know, I've come to the point now that I seek spiritual inebriation on some level. And that's the only thing that will keep me from going back to that other inebriation, wow. you know, because I can come around and, you know, I've heard this analogy once. I love it. Like I can go into rehab and like, I'm like a balloon. Like they blow me up yep. and you know, they blow, blow me up uh, 28 days later, I come out and I'm a big full balloon. Yep. But if I don't do things to continue to fill me up, like, you know, meetings, yep. like the work, like prayer life, that all the things that I need to do personally, you know, then I just start, yeah, yeah. you know, like, you deflating. know, blow, deflating, blowing out all over the place until I have to just go back to what I know how to feel better, you know? And like, I mentioned the word prayer and I would, let me just spend one second talking to you about that. So like, I'm not a God guy. I had a certain idea about what God was when I came around here and because all I knew about God, all God was, was a concept. You know, it was the object of belief. It was not the subject of experience. It was just something, you know, I was brought up Catholic. It was something that, you know, I was talked at about a lot, you know. Yep. But I came around here and I'll give you a quick, quick story. Um, 
I had gone to rehab in 2017, the same rehab I was at in 2007. So I bookended uh, my 10 years of heavy using by the same rehab, yeah. um, 10 years apart. So, uh, so I come out of this rehab and I was going to meetings every single day. I was doing, you know, 120 and 90 or something, you know, like doing everything they said, but I just didn't understand. And I had 65 days sobriety. I was so uncomfortable that I started looking at places other than AA for, because I was blaming AA, because I thought the fellowship was supposed to keep me sober. And that's really not the case for me. The program keeps me sober. The fellowship is where I go to celebrate the program and to get insight on the program so that I can stay sober. That's for me. Hmm. Um, so I'm, so I'm, you know, 65 days in and I'm driving to a, a CA meeting, Cocaine Anonymous, another fellowship. Um, they, I never even knew there was such a thing. Yeah, they use the big book. So, but it just my perspective at this point was like, I'm looking everywhere for a solution and I wasn't getting it. Yeah. You know, I was looking everywhere except in me yeah. for the solution. Yeah. And like, you know, that's where I needed to find it, you know? So I'm looking everywhere for the solution and I just keep getting more uncomfortable and I'm blaming all the things I'm doing, you know? So now I'm blaming AA for the fact that I'm uncomfortable and that I'm, you know, looking to use again. So I'm headed to this Cocaine Anonymous meeting and I'm driving down the road and all of a sudden it hit and I'm going to Dorchester instead of the meeting. And, you know, like something inside me clicked and it was on again. I wow. couldn't I couldn't be uncomfortable anymore. I'd kissed my wife and my kids goodbye wow. to get in that car and I'm driving and here I go to go pick up again. Wow. And I'm freaking out in my head. You can imagine the emotions. And all of a sudden I'm on a four lane highway. And I notice through my craziness that there's cars whipping past me on the right. And it was so strange that the cars next to me on my right side were going so much faster than me being in the fast lane that it actually took my attention away from the chaos I was in and the turmoil I was in for a moment. And I realized that I'm going 35 miles an hour in a 55 high speed lane of a highway. And I look in front of me and there's a Prius with a Jesus fish on the back sitting in front of me going 35 miles an hour in the high speed lane of a highway without any traffic on it. And, you know, you hear about, you know, these experiences that people have that like kind of come slowly over time. And like that for me was a sign that I could not evade. It was directly in front of me. And I'll tell you the rest of that story though, is that got me off of the exit to where the meeting was instead of going to use. Wow. And I wish I could leave the story there. By the time I get to the meeting, the urge in me is so strong to pick up that I went and I used anyway. And the next time that I tried to get sober and I asked for help, even though that power had come down and put a sign directly in front of me and I pushed it away and used anyway, it was still there for me the next time. And like, I've heard somebody once come up with a little, a little tool for people that have issues with God or with a concept of God. And it's to... And this was done with me, and it worked. So, Chris, put aside everything that you that your brain evokes when you hear the word God. 
Put aside everything you've ever heard, every prejudice you have, every feeling you get. So you're sitting with a blank piece of paper. And now, literally, I was handed a blank piece of paper. If you were to invent on your own, this is a new concept that's never been heard of before, never been taught about before. If you were to invent a higher power, what are the three things that, that what are the three main things that that higher power would have? What are the three main qualities? So I thought about it and I wrote first, it has to be forgiving mm. because even just in our discussion, I've mentioned things that I still have had trouble forgiving myself for. So if there's going to be something that I'm going to need power from, it needs to be willing to give it to me. Okay. So it needs to be forgiving. Second, it needs to be down to earth and it needs to have a sense of humor <laughs> because I don't speak in King James language. <laughs> I don't speak in thighs. I speak like this. Yes. And when I get little signs like a Prius with a Jesus fish on it, I want to be able to point to that and say, ah, ah, I see what you did there. Yeah. I see what you did there. And like that's the rapport that I need to have. If, I, if this is going to be something that I'm going to go to, you know, 50 times a day yeah. because some days I need to that many times and yep. it needs to be some some power that I can talk to the way that I talk and that has a sense of humor that can get me out of myself sometimes. And the third, it needs to be strong because as much as a man, you know, who considers himself, you know, like I put all day, I walk around putting off how strong I am, how much I can solve your problems, how much I know, I love knowing stuff, you know, like that's me all day. But in reality, I'm more scared. I'm more confused and I'm sensitive. So those are all the things that I am. So I need something that's stronger than all of those things. So in that, and then I looked at my list and, and I was told, see that right there? Like that's your higher power. So now it's, you know, when I pray to something, I'm not praying to the thing that I was confused by as a kid. Yeah. I'm not praying to the thing that well, maybe wasn't there for me. Why did I have to go through that stuff? I'm not praying to that. I'm praying to those three qualities on a piece of paper. And once I started to do that, things started to change, you know, and I would I'll go into a meeting and like the idea of this tangible power as a feeling like when we're talking and like there's been a couple of times it's happened already like i've gotten something inside me has been stirred and i felt something that is and when i go to meetings i feel that i hear someone speak i identify on such a cellular level that something inside me is stirred and i feel them uh, that, I, uh, yeah so that is something I, so if i go home that day and i say uh hey thing that i felt in the <laughs> meeting can you please like get me and my biggest thing is you know a lot of people keep me away from a drink or a drug today my prayer life is a little bit different than that i pray to just stay the hell out of my own way because i've realized in my life like i'm the problem i'm the problem so you know i asked to be you know freed from self-centeredness self-seeking self-pity and fear that's one of the because those are my things i'm always you know like i'm always self-seeking I always, you know, like sometimes I blame the world for the way I think and feel, you know, like those are all my things, you know, and, uh, you know, afraid of this, afraid of that, angry about this because I'm afraid of that, you know, like all that stuff. And, you know, so I go home and say, hey, thing at the meeting that made me feel a certain way that wasn't of me, but made me feel a certain way. Can you help me with all this stuff? And then if that day, like I notice something like, ooh, 
you know, like that guy just came up to me and I wanted to say, get away from me, you're an asshole. And instead I said, how can I help you? Yeah. Or are you new here or whatever, you know? And like, I oh, wait a minute, that's not something I would normally do. So then the next day I say, hey, thing that I felt at the meeting and thing that made me say something other than the first thing that came to my mind, can you do that again today? And then over time, as that's happened and as things have changed, my faith has grown because of that. No doubt. That is such a unique perspective. Is that your own? Did you come up with this? It's it's an amalgamation of a couple of different things. Um, and, you know, that's mine. And, like, that's me and my specific, this is, this is the hey feeling that I felt, you know, hey thing that helped me yesterday, hey thing that helped me again. That's, my, that's the best way that I can articulate how my faith has grown you know and 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 it's made and now i call it god because that seems to be the word that everybody uses you know and like you know i've heard before we can all walk into the same room and you know we can see a rose outside look at it smell it walk into the room and describe it to everybody else but it's much easier just to have a word for it and that word is rose and our experience of that is different and we all feel it in a different way but we're going to call it this because it's easier than saying hey thing that i prayed it's easier than me telling that story every time i want to describe god to somebody i love that story wow thank you for sharing that that's cool but um but i i like that part of it where you talked to you said you met you said a couple times and this is how my faith grows and you're you're saying you're telling me that story and i'm like okay like you're putting a sand pebble in your pocket here a sand pebble in your pocket there a sand pebble in your pocket here, and then before you know it you have a handful of sand and i say that because that's how that's that's how i came at it i mean i wanted to and i've said it I said a couple of weeks ago, it's like, how do I do this spiritual thing? I'm doing it all wrong. I just want to get it. And I hear people saying this is a spiritual program, but it's like. But it's a spiritual program, not a religious program. And I, and I think that like similar to you, like I have bookshelves at home of, you know, various religious teachings. And, you know, like because I looked everywhere for this God and. Every, I looked everywhere externally for this God. And, uh, you know, again, like bookshelves of stuff. You know, I went to, I've probably been to, you know, every denomination church yeah. in, in the state, you know, trying to find that external God that was going to give me the power that I needed to stay sober. And yeah. as much as... God exists on different levels in all of those places. You know, it wasn't until I found... So as long as God is the object of my belief, it does not have the power to keep me sober. And I found that in my life. Once it becomes the subject of my experience, it does. So when it's the thing that I've experienced and that I felt, that's tangible power right. that I can put my finger on, I can point to, I can see how it's changed my life, and that is something that I'm willing to move forward in and grow in consciousness of, you know, and everybody's idea of that is different, and I don't think until you can get to your own real concept, and it's not a concept, until you felt the power and been open to that power, it's very difficult to move forward in any of the rest of this. Yeah. You know? Open-mindedness. And uh, what I was kind of kind of remembered what I was going to say before, it's like um, you, 
you know, you have to, if, if you don't know what to pray for, sometimes I, I suggest pray, you know, okay, say this, God, help me understand what you are. And like, that's it. That's your prayer for the day. If set your intention, like if you really want to know, and if God, if it's, if it's in your spirit, if that's what you want to know that day, and you don't feel anything that day, say it for a couple of weeks and just see what happens. Like say it with good intention while while not filling the voids in your life with the drugs and the sex and the booze, you know what I mean? Well, you know, you're doing your part on that end, um, you know, staying clean, you know, at the beginning, you know, while you're trying to figure out a program. Try that. Try that prayer and see what happens. Another cool thing about prayer that I want to say quick is um, a guy once said to me, he goes, how about this? If you, if it, I never forget to pray in the morning because I pray all day. And he's like, what do I mean by that? Well, he goes like this. How many of you guys talk to yourself? Anybody? Does anybody talk to themselves out there? <laughs> Everybody puts their hand up. He goes, so it, bring God along that day. Like, okay, instead of the guy cuts you off, right? And you go, you motherfucker. And then the guy cuts you off. You invite God in. You go, you motherfucker. You're such a. Don't you think so, God? <laughs> God will say, maybe, but I love him too. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, no, that's great. And another thing, too, like you talk about just the continued, like, you know, prayer life throughout the day or whatever. And like, I used to be a victim of my own mind. So do you ever have a mind attack? Like, are you familiar with like what? I, I think anyone who's, you know, had any sort of issues, you know, it might be a human thing. It's definitely an alcoholic and an addict thing is, you know, driving down the street, all is well, and all of a sudden, some thought comes in, whether it's some hideous thing that I've done in the past that maybe no one knows about, or maybe it's some, you know, maybe it's a thought to do something that I used to do, but I don't do anymore, but whatever it is, and like, I, those used to own me, own me, and even if I didn't act out in them, they would ruin the day, they would probably, they would put me in a bad place, probably be a jerk to my family, I'm on a short fuse, I, you know, I wake up, you know, like and sometimes like the morning or middle of the night can be the worst on those. And, you know, when that happens and that makes me uncomfortable, like in sobriety, one of the first things I do is I go out all day trying to figure out who to pin that on. Like, you know what, where's the external problem that I'm going to put that on, you know? But like now what I found is when that thought occurs, and I can sometimes do this quicker than other times, but when a thought like that comes in and when I get that mind attack, I immediately ask for help. I ask that power that we discussed before, call it God, call it whatever you want to. I ask that power for help. Oh, Dude, can you can you help me with that? Can you can you remove this? And it doesn't go away that second, but I find that over time, like now I can look back and be like, oh yeah, I had a little mind attack in the car, and then something happened that drew my attention somewhere else, whether it be a phone call I got, whether it be Zolak on the radio talking about something, whether it be somebody cuts me off and I get angry for a minute, whatever it is, whatever I need to turn my attention away from that thought happens. And I don't see it when it's happening, but later on, if I think back upon it, oh, I asked for something and I got exactly what I asked for and now my face stronger. And it's it's so cool. What you were thinking of when you when you were praying for that help definitely wasn't in the form of the way you got it.
No, absolutely you, not. You know, yeah. and that's because oh, if I, you know, if I got things the way I wanted, it would be a white light would come down from heaven. I would hear the uh, ah, and you know, and then all of a sudden I would be, you know, not only would I not have the thought anymore, but I would suddenly be somewhat godly myself. Yeah, you know, like those are the you know, yeah, like right because that's and like you know when I first started to try to build this spirituality, that's how I thought it worked. I thought it was about me becoming more godly and like i just didn't know like my my appalling lack of perspective on everything it seems was true in that as well you know and what i find now and how my spirituality grows especially when it comes to this program is when i'm in a situation and i'm trying to help somebody else whether it be you know someone who's been in the program a long time who's going through a hard time whether it be a newcomer who just walked in and you know like now, when I approach situations like that, that I know are far beyond something that I have the ability to be helpful with, I immediately ask for help. And this power gives me the help that I need to help you. And once I've helped you, I get to keep all of that power. And that's what this progressive, and you know, we deal with a progressive illness. So if I don't have a progressive recovery, then it's gonna make things real stale real fast because my illness continues to progress while I'm sitting here. So if my recovery doesn't continue to progress, then one is gonna outrun the other and I'm gonna be in a world of trouble. Yeah, no doubt. Wow. We have progressed to the fast <laughs> spiritual. We progressed to the spiritual fast lane. Yeah, we didn't. We 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 went from first to fifth, and it's awesome. I think that it benefits this this recording to to say what like what did we do before we started? You know what what is the one thing that we did? Yeah, you know, we we asked for some assistance and for you know some guidance in the way this would go and the manner in which it would get there and you know just another example of you know like i come in and you know like i want to sound good and like you know maybe i want to tell you some things that like make me sound like a badass and like you know maybe like i have some good one-liners that are funny you know i come in with all my ideas yeah. about the things that i want to do and then i you know and we know though like we know that we're those idiots that yeah like we, I, the we first could... thing we did is ask for some guidance for it to go somewhere and you know like i think it certainly went in a direction that neither of us expected but you know it was probably probably better having gone in that direction. I think I think so because um it needed to come out. You know, it needed to come out. It's like uh it reminds me of I heard this this story about these guys they were in I think where they were they were in like the Amazon and before they went any further on their expedition, one of these shamans or whatever he was he said before you go I have to blow this green dust up your nose and he he wouldn't let him go. So he does it to the first three guys, and they kind of like they get them brain, you know, brain freeze. They're like ah, their eyes water, but then they're like okay, I feel good. And then the fourth guy goes, and his eyes totally almost start bleeding. He goes down into a fetal position, and he's down there for a couple minutes, and he starts puking, projectile vomiting. And the shaman goes over to him and goes, "Good." And the everybody's like, well, "Good." What do you mean? And he's like. He had a holy spirit. He had a he had a bad spirit in him. If he continued up that trail, he was gonna die. <laughs> you know. So it's like, there you go. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
Um, you had me at green powder up the nose. I was on board. So, <laughs> so old habits die hard. <laughs> so we we touched. You know, we went there a little bit at the beginning, but you know, like you said, um, you know, the conversation went somewhere else, and it was awesome. And I do think it's going to benefit somebody for sure. And that's what we're here for, right? Yeah, I mean that—that's all we have, you know. At, at the end of the day, like that's—I'm only as useful as my experience. Absolutely, you know, like, I can't cut any new roads. I can't tell anyone else how to do it. All I can do is, you know, witness to you that I had a life that uh, you know I was in a pile of trash. You know, I had I had burnt my life down into a pile of trash, and that's not the case anymore and i'm not leaps and bounds removed from that either you know like we're talking you know 18 months ago i had a wife who wanted to divorce me who had papers ready i had a son who was 20 years old who wasn't speaking to me and i didn't think would ever speak to me again and i had a seven-year-old so i'll finish that story real quick in the hotel room so um you know I had ended up in this hotel room and I had run out of money. You know, I said, you know, a couple day run, you know, one of those, you know, a bad, bad scene. And I had run out of money on my own credit cards. So I had to use a credit card in my wife's name to get the room. So what that meant is my wife knew where I was now after three days. And I told that story a bunch of times from the podium in various meetings before I realized kind of what the gravity of that is. My truth is when I pick up a drink or a drug, the people that love me most, and they do love me, have to look at computers, bank statements to figure out where I am. And again, that's another thing that sucks to stand here and say, but if anybody can find any use in that, even if it's me to come sit down with AJ when I'm kind of busy, to go to a commitment when I would rather be sitting at home, you know, to pick up the phone when someone calls who I know I'm going to be annoyed by what they tell me, but they probably will be better once they say it. All those things, if I'm, if I don't, if I'm not honest about the alternative, which is that, then I'm not going to do all those things. And, you know, again, that has made that thing useful. It's turned trash into tools. Nice. And it isn't me that did that. Yeah. You know, it, it isn't me that took that thing and made it into anything. That's the power. Yeah. The fact that I can sit here today not only knowing that, but I have the perspective to see that is something other than me. You it's know, a gift. It, it's something that it, it's an unmerited gift that is not of me, but flows through me. If that makes any sense, it makes total sense. Um, you know, so she knows where I am. She comes to the room with my five-year-old at the time. Knocks on the door. I open the door. I've been out of the house three days now on a three-day run. My five-year-old looks up at me and he's crying, and I'm crying at that time. And he says, "Daddy, why can't you just come home?" And I looked at that little boy, and I said probably the truest thing I've ever said. I said, I don't know. And that is my step one. When I pick up, I cannot be the dad who's at home. When I'm not working a program of recovery, I cannot not pick up. Mm. So here we are, you know. Wow. 
It's tremendous. Uh, the honesty, man. I appreciate you so much. And I got to say, and so I'll say this with the understanding that, you know, I, I you know, you're a humble dude and I know you don't want to, you don't, you know, you don't want to hear that. And, uh, and, um, you know, you do a lot behind the scenes, uh, that people don't know about you. You're good to a lot of people. You, you know, you, you go get gifts for people who are showing up for meetings, you know, like Jan or you help out, um, who's our buddy over there in Wakefield that, Michael. uh, Michael, you know, and, uh, you know, you sponsor these guys over these halfway houses and you're always on the run. And I'll tell you though, man, like, you know, as much as I don't take compliments well, and I want to like, you know, excuse all that. Like, I'll just say this, like every day I ask for my intuitions to be guided I keep an open mind and I just go where I'm supposed to yeah. go. Like, you know, I don't get up every day with a plan of this is what I do. You know, like I ask God, this thing that I call God to just point me in the right direction. And, and these things come up in my path, like, oh, this guy that needs some help, like, okay, that's the thing to do, go help him. And like, I, you know, it's, it's not semantics, but like I get more out of it than the people that I do things for. and. What I mean by that is it gets me out of me. Yeah. And like I, that's the key, you know, like, because I'll sit, if I'm not helping you, then I'm trying to help me and I can't do a damn thing to help myself. Yeah. You know, so like that's kind of what that is, you know. Real quick, I'll tell one more story. Yeah, I hate, yeah. I hate leaving off with that hotel room story. Yeah, so, yeah, no, like, that's fine. So like, I'll, I'll tell a story about that. Yeah, that same little boy. So about three months into uh, recovery, and like this is the only recovery I've really ever had. I've tried sobriety before. This is recovery. About a month, so probably two months into this recovery, I'm pick him up at school, and we're driving home. And we're sitting at a red light. It's me and him in the car, and I'm present in the car i'm not thinking about what i did last night i'm not thinking about how i can run to the store once i get home for an hour go pick up do the drill i'm not thinking about any of that i'm in the car and i'm present and that little boy said daddy you know what sometimes i'm i have so much happiness that i wish i could take some of my happiness and give it to people around the world who aren't quite as happy nice and that little boy is going to say that whether I'm in the car or not because he's the balls. But what this program does is it allows me to be present in my own life. It allows me to be present in the life that has been going on this whole time that I just couldn't see. You know, like there was a long time when I was drinking and using, I was a victim of my own life. Yeah. Like, you know, like everything's out to get me. Every, like the life hasn't changed. Yeah. I've changed. Yeah. And like now I live in the best life I could ever imagine, a life beyond my wildest dreams. Yeah. And it's with the same people and it's, you know, the same life, you know? And like, that's the thing is when I pick up the thing that I do more than anything else is I teach the people that love me the most, how to live without me. And you know, who, who loses there? Mm -hmm. Me. Yeah. You know? So let me, let me just ask you one more question. And, uh, so, if somebody out there is listening and, and and they can identify, which I'm sure there will be somebody about the, you know, relapsing and, and, you know, not knowing why you can't stop. What made this time, if you could put your finger on one thing that made, 
you know, 18 months ago different than all the other times? And you may have answered this already and you may not have. Um, is there something that you could put a finger on? Absolutely. Um, every time I relapsed, I would come back into the halls of AA, of NA. I, I've, I've been through all the fellowship. Every time I would relapse, I would come back in trying to figure out what my plan needed to be, what I needed to do. Okay, I got to do the steps. Okay, it's not this meeting. They're not really doing it right over there. I got to go to this meeting. And then, you know, there was a blog time. Find the right guy. Like, ooh, that guy sounded good from the podium. He'll keep me sober. And it was always my plans and my designs. Interesting. I'm an addict and an alcoholic. I cannot keep myself sober. I cannot come up with a plan to do it. I cannot put things together in the right order to do it. The only thing that's worked for me is to realize that I can't do it and ask a non-human power greater than myself to do it for me. In the moment I started asking, things changed. Wow. Yeah, I love that. I love it, man. And you're right. You're terrible at taking a compliment. I'm like Ricky Bobby. Yeah. I like, what do I do with my hands? You know, <laughs> You're awful at that, but I'll tell you what. You're an awesome human. You're an awesome dad. And, and it's it's like, yeah, it's it's God. But you know what? You, you're putting the work in, dude. Like you're going from here to a commitment. You're going to, you know, you, you you put the work in. I see it. You know, we see it. And I appreciate you. I love you, man. And, um, you know, you're coming back. You're going to come back on. Yeah, I'll come back. I might, <laughs> I might have a couple of things left to say. <laughs> All right, buddy. Thanks, so, AJ, for yeah, the opportunity. Yeah. Again, you know, like we... You know, again, I guarantee you I got more out of this than you. And, you know, the fact that you're doing this and you're providing people the opportunity, not only the people that you're reaching, but everybody who comes and sits in this chair is better for it. And to provide your friends and your fellowship to have the opportunity to do that is just amazing. Man. Awesome. Man. All right, brother, that'll do it. If you're uh, if you made it this far, you're a, you're a good friend. And, um, and uh, you know. We, we hope you're well. So uh, that'll do it. And we will see you next time. Bye. Thank you. Good luck with the editing on that one. <laughs> There's not going to be much.